Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast, brought to you as ever by Lead Forensics. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro. This episode is another from our new webinar series, B2B Superpowers, and this one is all about how to overcome the objection overlord. I was joined by returning guest Tom Armitage from Smith.ai to discuss superhero tactics of handling common objections you may come up against in your fight for B2B excellency. So, without further ado, here is Tom Armitage on how to overcome the objection overlord. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I don't think I've actually been a real superhero since probably Halloween 1996. So this is going to be a good time because I feel like I'm, I actually do have superpowers today. <laughs> you did, when I asked you to appear, you did introduce yourself as the B2B Batman. So that's absolutely <laughs> You'll have to tell people that. <laughs> okay. Excellent stuff. Tom. The Objection Overlord is a formidable supervillain whose primary ability is to intensify objections and make them seem insurmountable. This villain possesses a deep understanding of human psychology and can exploit common objections that salespeople face. So let's explore how we're going to bring this guy down. Tom, just very, very briefly, what do we mean when we talk about objections? Objections are ways that the prospect is trying to push back uh, sometimes they're called or they're, they're accompanied by brush offs or other types of ways that they're trying to get more information out of you or trying to start negotiating a better deal for themselves. Every single person that, that's you know, giving you objections or, or ways to potentially cancel that deal and, and kill that deal. It's because they're looking out for themselves, just like we all are. So you need to keep that in mind that they're always going to be looking for the what's in it for me and how is this valuable for me? And that's what we're really going to end up talking through as to how to overcome objections is, is really circling that back to uh, making sure that, that they're getting what they're looking for. And, and why might an objection arise? Why do objections occur? The, the objections come about because they, they, as in the prospect, feels some sort of discomfort. Now, you don't know exactly what that is. It could be related to them not believing what you're saying or them not actually feeling like the solution is going to solve their problem or it being over budget and what they're able to get approved. Or maybe they don't know what the budget is and it's just a a mystery. There's all sorts of objections that come about in that sales process. But I I believe it all leads back to some sort of discomfort because they haven't felt... the, the salesperson, him or herself, has not given them the ability to feel comfortable throughout that sales process. So then how, how just generally speaking, how can salespeople be more ready for them? Yeah. So I think the last time we got together, we talked about Sandler training. We're, we're big fans of it here at Smith AI, and I've gone through the, the book and the training uh, that Sandler has offered. And he talks about objections considerably, you know, throughout a lot of, a lot of his rules come back to uh, stalls and objections. So what a salesperson can do to to first get ready for these objections is to know the product inside and out because a lot of the objections come back to uh, sometimes very specific details about what the product can offer. Now, again, it's still going to relate back to some sort of pain point that that prospect has or some sort of uh, value that that prospect either thinks or doesn't think that the product or service offers. So you need to really know the product inside and out and all those features and benefits that can really benefit that prospect and his or her needs. And in order to really prep and get ready for that sales call, you need to have a sales playbook. 
And that playbook is going to address a lot of those common objections that can occur. So that way you're ready and you have those superhero weapons, if you will, to be able to, to react to whatever those objections that are going to come your way from, from that, from that villain. I, I I love that you've you've lent into the theme of our webinar. There, Tom. I really well, organically it. too. I just thought of it as I was going. To. Yeah, just off the top of my head, it wasn't even planned or anything. <laughs> okay, so when you say like um a sales playbook, then let's let's just go on to on to that piece just really really quickly. Um, do you mean literally like physically a script just printed out, or what what might be included in that in that playbook? Yeah, so the playbooks can range depending on the the business and depending on. Uh, the sales trainer, the sales team, and who you're selling, and, and who you're, you, the folks are that you're you're targeting, and who your buyers are. Uh, but yes, it is it is some sort of physical document that you're going to reference uh, throughout the sales call to make sure that you, you have your, your T's crossed and your your I's dotted. And it shouldn't be scripted to the point where if that prospect says something or asks a question that's not on the document, it, it throws you for a whirlwind and you don't know how to react. But it should be it, it should be enough of a guide for you to make sure that you understand who this person is, what their needs are. You're asking the right questions and it gives you the ammo in order to respond to those objections that, that can and should come about. And one of the most important things about that playbook too is, is BANT, making sure that you've, you've uncovered and you've confirmed that they have the budget, the authority, the need and the timing in order to, you know, queue up the rest of your questions and, and the rest of your sales process to make sure that you can s- successfully, you know, get this deal to the next step, whether that's another meeting or the proposal stage, or maybe it's closing the deal, depending on where you are in that sales process. But you should make sure that that, that band is being uh, established and, and carried out, as well as common questions that can help you identify what that need is and how your solution can fit into that need. I'm glad you uh, you mentioned budget in your, your answer to that one, Tom, because I, I want to throw some objections your way, some common objections that our, our superhero, our sales superheroes might face in a day-to-day basis. And can you please, Tom, just tell us how you'll deflect, dodge, dive over them, just like Captain America with his mighty shield. Uh, the first one I'm going to throw your way, a common objection. You might even call it kryptonite. Can you see how many <laughs> references I'm getting in here? I really believe in this. Uh, so the kryptonite for this is... I can't afford it. How do you overcome the budget constraints? Yeah, that's that's the most common uh, of all the objections. And and actually, Sandler says before we even get into these specifics, Joe, what Sandler says is the salesperson should be the one actually bringing up these objections and these answers before they're even asked by the prospect. And that makes that that's a really really powerful strategy um, as far as the sales process because you're letting them know that you're listening to them that you're anticipating their needs, that you're confident and you're not scared of these objections. You're not trying to steer away from them. You're going to get right in front of it and and address them before they even come up. And because they're going to come up anyways, if they don't come up on the call, they're going to come up in a meeting with somebody, that that, that person's coworker, that person's supervisor, that person's uh, finance manager, whoever the decision maker is. And you'd rather be the one that's addressing it right there and then in person in that meeting rather than it being discussed offline without you involved. So there's all sorts of benefits to being the one that brings it up. So back to your question, uh, it is the most common one and that's going to be cost and, and budget. And no one has the budget for it. They'll at least tell you that even if they do, because that's the, the easiest way to skirt around, uh, to, to get yourself out of that situation. If you're feeling uncomfortable for one way, one reason or another, 
And it also begins that negotiation process. So that way they feel like they've gotten a leg up. They feel like they've taken advantage of you to, to a certain extent. They feel like they, they got um, uh, the, the better of the deal, right? So that, that's always going to happen. And the best way of answering that and, and making sure that that's in your, your sales playbook is, is very important. So you, you feel confident, you feel ready, you can reference something uh, as needed is to really think through what the value is. So if you know that this person is going to uh, really appreciate a, a positive ROI, instead of focusing on the direct out-of-pocket cost, change the conversation to be about how many customers this tool or this product or this service can produce, what your close rates are on the sales team, how many leads you need to produce in order to close one deal, what the average lifetime value of a new customer is. So if, if your solution is, $5,000, but this solution is going to bring in 100 new leads a month. And I'm using this as an example because I know Lead Forensics goes through a very similar uh, sales process. And, and you're talking multiple additional leads closed per month with an average lifetime value of those each being $10,000. You can pay for a solution in the first week of a service to, to have a, a 10, 20 times ROI over the course of the, the annual contract, right? And I know I'm saying a lot of things to somebody that's not in a sales role, maybe may, some of this might be going over their heads a little bit, but if you can show that that product or that service can warrant a, a true positive ROI, the, the fixation on the budget and the fixation on the, the immediate cost is completely uh, dissolved when you hear about how much value can be provided by the tool over the course of, of that contract, whether that's quarterly, whether that's monthly, whether that's annually. And it's a lot easier to, to stomach. Even if they have the budget for it, that's what they wanna be hearing. If you truly understand your audience and you, you are looking at, at what their needs are, it's a lot easier to, to handle that cost if you know what the return is going to be. A hundred percent. Yeah, that was always something I remember my dad saying that they used to leverage with them because he used to sell software as, as a service as well. And he would say, you know, you say up front okay yeah it is this much but it's going to save you this much in the future it's in it, you know he would say it was a really powerful piece but um just to go back to the very start of your answer Tom, you said like um bringing up the objections yourself mm -hmm. on the phone because obviously you know that's if you were the other end of the phone that's your first question isn't it what's the cost bringing them up almost as selling points what does that do for your your credibility and your trustworthiness with that buyer yeah, I think that your confidence around, you first of all need to be confident about what you're selling. Like that's just, um, you know, sales 101. If you don't believe in it, that's going to come forth in, in your delivery and your tone and, and how confident you are in whatever it is that you're saying. But if you truly, you know, stand behind whatever it is that you're selling and you're confident in, in its pricing, where it's positioned in the marketplace, if you're really, really familiar about what your competitors offer, which you should be as a salesperson, when you're being upfront about what that cost is and you can work in that language around what it's able to produce in terms of return, that's gonna add a, a ton of credibility to, to you as a salesperson, to the, to the rapport that you've built because you're not scared to come out front and, and announce that to him or her. And you can easily and fluidly explain how they're gonna actually find value in it it makes for a, a much smoother sales process and being able to, to give them that price upfront, it, you're, you're holding the cards in that situation. They may think that they are because they, they, they got it out of you. Right. But if, if you're the one that's, that's declaring that and able to, 
to have that conversation, you're, you're actually the one in control of that sales process. And that, that's where you need to be as a salesperson at all times. A hundred percent. So to, to throw up a, let's throw up another wall that they, they might throw at you. They say, oh, I need to think about it. What tactics can you employ to Hulk smash through that wall, Tom? <laughs> I love you. it. I love the puns. Um, <laughs> so uh, that one is, is also really, really common. And I've done it uh, a million times myself, actually. And a lot of times they'll do that to, to buy themselves time because they feel rushed. They might not be the, the decision maker. Um, and that one is, that one's tough, but you, you have to work through that process and get an actual action committed by the end of that sales call. And that needs to be either a, a committal around signing a document, a committal around the next meeting that's booked. You always need the next step to be secured before you leave that call. And uh, it once again, it takes confidence and you have to push through that, um, mm -hmm. but it, it's going to make that sales process to, to continue on instead of dying. And it keeps you in control at the same time. You need to ask yourself, why are they, why are they doing that? Why are they stalling? They're, they're stalling for a reason. Are they mm -hmm. stalling because they're not the decision maker and they need to consult with the decision maker? Then you need to figure out who that decision maker is and get the meeting with that person. Are they stalling because the, the timing is not right? Then because they're going on vacation the next day and they're not going to be thinking about it for the next two weeks. Totally valid. Get that meeting on the books for when they come back um, and, and have that secured and be able to nurture them throughout the next couple of weeks um, to make sure that that does happen. Are they stalling because they truly don't believe in the product, which is probably the most common of the three examples that I just said. And you need to get to the root of that and why they don't believe in it and actually address it head on. Uh, so they are a believer and they will take that next meeting. I did see, actually, you've, you reminded me something that I saw on the, on LinkedIn a, a few days ago. And I thought, actually, that's a really powerful example. And I knew I was going to uh, talk to you about this today. So I thought, I'm going to bring this up and just see what Tom thinks about it. It was um, this guy, he was on a call uh, and he, it was a live uh, sales call. You know, he was mm -hmm. just showing, look, this is what I do. This is how I get around stuff. And um, the objection came back, oh, I need time to think about it. And this guy, I, I really, really appreciated what he said because he just he took a second and he said, the fact is, when you're making decisions, time is not what you need in order to make a decision. Because if we say, okay, fine, later, 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 and just keep delaying, keep delaying, it's never going to happen. What you actually need when you're about to make a decision is information. So what information do you currently not have about my products that you need to be mm -hmm. able to make that decision? I was like, that's actually... I quite like that. That's not a bad one. What, you, what are your thoughts on that one, Tom? Do you think that would that would fly? The first thing I thought of when you said that example is, is if I was buying a, a car, a, a significant investment, a lot goes into it from how much space and how many seats there are to safety, to uh, drivability. I, I drive a standard now because I wanted to go back to what I you know felt like when I was a teen and I had my, my uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse, right? So there's all these things that, that go into it. But if, if the, the guy in the, on the lot uh, was there and he said, you know, this is actually, it's a, whatever, a $20,000 vehicle, but I'm going to give it to you for $10,000. Um, I might have some questions as to why they're discounting it that much. But let's just say that that, that, that part of it's off the table. If, if, I, if price was not an issue and I was getting that good of a deal, I could certainly make that decision much faster than full price, right? If I feel like I'm getting a deal, I can, I can make that decision much more quickly. And, and you're right. Time is not really part of the equation. If I love the product, 
I got what I need. It's going to fulfill my needs and, and price, which is normally the case in consumer products and, and car products. And if that's off the table, it's like, why, why wait? Why can't I make a decision right now? Um, the soon-to-be wife would probably have an opinion on it, but that's for, for another day, right? That's, that's for another day. But you're right. If, if you can narrow down and, and make sure all the boxes are checked as to what it is that they're actually looking for, then time really does come out of the equation. So if, if they're hanging their hat on, I need more time to think about this, send me some information, then they, they really do must need something else to get them to that finish line where they still don't feel comfortable making that decision. And, and time is just really just, just an excuse at that point. Mm. For sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Isn't it? But no, yeah, you're absolutely right. I would like to hear what, you know, your soon to be wife's thoughts would be on you're dropping <laughs> 10 grand on a vehicle. We do have a wedding to pay for and you're moving house. So <laughs> I, I think that the best way to, to go about that, it, it isn't just uh, saying, I'll get you the information that, that you requested um, and letting them off the hook. You, you have to use your spiders, your spidey senses <laughs> to to figure out what it is that they actually are 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 uncomfortable about what don't they have the information that they need and the only way to do that is to ask more questions that that's like if you take anything away from sandler training you, you can read multiple books you can go through um a, a lot of his trainings not to say that they're they're bad because they're they're very very good and, and the team the teamwork approach and the accountability approach is, is very good but if, if you have one key takeaway from all of Sandler's stuff is it's ask more questions, open-ended questions, get to the heart of what the, the concern is and what the problem is. And the more questions that you ask it, it actually shows your credibility and your confidence in your areas of expertise. Kind of the, the novice salesperson would think that it would, you'd come across as being inexperienced and, and not knowledgeable, but it's actually the, the inverse. The more questions you ask, the more intelligent questions you ask, you not only learn more about the, that that buyer and what their needs are and what their interests are, what motivates them to buy and how they're going to be rewarded if the solution you know is implemented and it's successful. You learn all these things about them, but it helps you get to the, the root cause of why the objections are, are taking place. So of all the different reasons to be asking questions, this might be the actual most important reason is to, is to uh, figure out what those objections are and, and resolve them before they become you know bigger and, and kill the deal. A hundred percent. I think, I think Tom, what you've made me realize is that I'm going to need to get some sort of score sheet for number of superhero references provided by the guest to these webinars. I wish I had more. Well well. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. Uh, I'm going to hit you with one more objection, Tom, just to, before we, we start wrapping up our conversation here today. Um, how do you respond like a true hero when a prospect says, I've had a bad experience with your company in the past? How do you go about patching things up there? Yeah, I think that you need to, once again, ask questions and explore what went wrong that first time around. Was it, uh, was it a, a, an account manager or a salesperson that they dealt with who is no longer part of the team or, or where they were actually in the wrong, where you can be uh, apologetic and, and fall on the sword and, and try to rectify that situation from a, a brand management, reputation management side of things? Was it the, the software or the, the technical part of the product itself that has since gone through iteration after iteration and revision after revision and it's you know, far superior than it was before? Or what happens a lot of times is it's actually that, that buyer's fault or that it's, it's a problem that relies on the, the, the buyer's side. Was it 
that they didn't implement it the way that they should? Did they make promises that they didn't keep? Did was the right? Did they not staff it properly? Did they not carry it out properly? I've, I've talked about this a number of times with, with you in the lead forensic side, where any solution that's helping to produce uh, insights and intelligence and leads still requires uh, labor and, and work and effort on the side of the buyer to actually you know take those leads and do something with it. Smith AI is the same thing. We're handling uh, inbound calls. We're, we're doing outbound calls. We're we're helping make sure that live chats are answered. We're making sure that uh, leads are qualified. And it's like, we, we can't close the deal for you. We still need you as the business <laughs> owner or you as the sales team to, to take that baton and run with it and close the deal. So if you're measuring uh, whether Smith AI or, or lead forensics or, or another software solution or product, you know, solely based on the, the full gamut of you know, the, the very start of the buyer's journey to the very end of it, it's, it's not really all that fair. So you need to really critically think about what the, the entirety of that, that uh, customer journey, that buyer's journey looks like. And what did you sign up for? What did you buy this product to solve? Did they successfully solve that piece of uh, the pie? And that's all you can really hold them accountable for is, is fulfilling that promise that they, that they made in the first place. And you can't really expect much beyond that. You shouldn't expect much beyond that. So those are the type of things that I would do if that objection came up is really getting to the heart of, of why it failed and figuring out, you know, where the responsibilities fell and, and you know, professionally um, carrying that through into how it's going to be different this next, this next time around and making sure that it's measured proper, properly that next time around too. Absolutely. Tom, you, you've offered up so much value for uh, for our audience here watching this webinar. I think we can consider that the, the objection overlord is almost well and truly defeated. So to wrap up our conversation and to once and for all defeat the objection overlord, what is the one key piece of advice you would like everyone to leave here today with? Sandler talks about objections being like a, a bomb. And if you don't defuse it early and quickly, then all it's going to do is blow up in your face down the road, which is going to lead to a lot of wasted hours in that sales process and a lot of uh, <laughs> dollars in the pipeline that aren't actual real, uh, aren't real dollars. And it's just going to screw up your reporting and, and you're going to be a killer of your hope. So diffuse that bomb early, uh, figure out what the most common objections are that often come from your ideal customers. And get, be upfront and address those objections and ask as many questions as you can to get to the heart of the problem so you can solve them on, you know, as early in the sales process as possible. So those, those, those real dollars in the pipeline are actual real and are, are really real. And you can actually uh, carry out that sales process and, and successfully close those deals. So actually, much like Adam West, some days you can just get rid of a bomb. Come on. B2B Batman. It was, come on. So it was an open goal there. Thank you. Thank you. That, that was, I, it was almost like I served it up on purpose, but I actually didn't do that one. I actually did. <laughs> the other ones we planned on. But. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. Well, there we go. Tom Armitage, the B2B Batman himself, on overcoming the objection overlord. Thank you again to Tom for joining me and thank you for listening. I hope that was valuable for you. Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook podcast wherever you get your pods and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another episode of the B2B Sales Playbook podcast. Mm-hmm.